Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, rock stars? It's Matt Johnson. We are back with another episode of the UX Podcast. We appreciate you listening and uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing, all the good stuff that you guys do. Uh, I want to talk about this special episode with Mark Davison. Mark is the founder, co-founder, I should say, of Thousand Watt, which is a really interesting, uh, I would say, extremely niche, uh, niche dominating type of agency. And they do branding and marketing work and marketing design for a lot of real estate brokerages. And they've really found their niche in the real estate home, you know, real estate community, which is how I stumbled across them. But uh, Mark is a super interesting guy with a really great background. You know, he's a New York guy. He comes out of the music industry before he got into the agency work in the real estate sector. And so he's got a super interesting background uh, and a very cool approach to things. And there was a few things that stuck out to me about this particular interview, which is obviously how to zero in on your industry niche and how to really dive deep. Uh, whereas most agencies, uh, I think, try to, a lot of us actually try to serve a lot of different people and we don't want to reject anyone. We don't want to make anyone feel excluded. And so what happens is we never actually create an attractive magnetic force that draws our ideal client to us because we don't end up standing for anything in the marketplace. So Mark talks a lot about that. We talk about how to carve your own path so you don't actually have to worry about competitors even coming into your space because you speak so accurately and so specifically to your ideal client. And that led us to the topic of brand archetypes and why the secret to great branding is really already inside of us and our story, uh, the backstory of the brand that we're already in. Now, for those of us in the entrepreneurial world, a lot of times that's rooted in our X factors, the unique uh, skills, attributes, and abilities that uh, that our business is based on, which a lot of times comes from our combination of background, maybe the previous work that we were in, uh, if we were in a corporate job before we got into entrepreneurship. It could come from a lot of different things. But uh, the secret to great branding is not to create necessarily, it's to uncover. Uh, and he goes into what he means by that, and as well as giving one of the best, best book recommendations I've ever received. I immediately went, got the book. It sent me down a fantastic path. It really helped me to clarify what UX is because this interview was done uh, obviously before the podcast came out. And so it really helped me to clarify what UX stood for and how I was conveying what I stand for out into the marketplace so that I, like a laser, just attract, like go after and specifically speak to the exact people that I want to attract into my tribe. And so those are a few things that uh, not only can we take away if you own an agency, but really any kind of professional service, whether it's coaching or consulting, which is a lot of the listenership here of the UX podcast as well. So all these things apply, whether you own a creative agency or whether you're doing any type of creative or, or intellectual kind of horsepower client work, right? So without further ado, here's Mark Davison, the co-founder of 1,000 Watt. And we'll just jump right into the conversation with Mark. I looked around the industry and saw a complete void in the world of like brand and understanding branding. Um, mm. it's, it sounds like a very artsy-fartsy thing to a lot of folks, but branding is very scientific. And if it's not done well, if it's not executed well, um, then you have a very inarticulate organization and a very confused marketplace. Yeah. And, 
you know, fast forward to, to today, where you have very articulate brands like Compass, very articulate brands like Zillow, and very articulate brands like even Berkshire Hathaway. Um, and it's making it abundantly clear that how branding, when done right, really helps a company explode um, when they seemingly have no true value proposition, quote unquote. Well, that's, I was going to ask you about that because I, I've read a little bit about what you guys had to say about Compass and, and one of my clients, actually, his company, uh, Conlon Christie's in Chicago, just got acquired uh, by Compass. And so he's looking at it from initially from the outside, now from the inside going, what the heck is going on and what do these guys actually stand for? What's their value prop? So you're saying that Compass is succeeding with good branding in spite of not having a very clear value prop to the market? No, they have a very clear value proposition. Oh, okay. The industry doesn't quite understand it. Oh, okay. So it's not clear to us, but it's clear to them. Yeah. It I works. Mean, okay. You, but like, you know, when you see a bunch of brokers gather around and they boil the compass value proposition down to, well, they're just buying off agents. Um, there's so much more there. Um, but if that's all that they can grab onto, then they're still missing the point of, what's behind all that. And um, one need not go much further than Compass's website or Compass's LinkedIn account to really learn like how deep the brand foundation goes. I mean, they have a very strong and solid and unique brand foundation. And it's things that I think real estate companies tend to do but take for granted and don't do well enough, like create core values. And create meaning from those core values, but then act upon them. In other words, like making decisions that don't conflict with the core value, then it renders that core value completely null and void. <laughs> and exactly. the core values that you make decisions along when they define the reason why you're in business, the mission that you have. I mean, Compass's mission is to do big things. And that's exactly what they're doing. They do big things. Okay. Um, because that's in their DNA. That's what they're here to do, um, among other things. They're trying to change the perception of what a real estate agent is to the marketplace. If you're an agent and you work for Compass, you, you can walk into a cocktail party and hold your head up high and say, I'm a Compass agent and feel good about that. And that's something all agents don't oftentimes yeah. feel good that they can do when they Well, it goes back to what you mentioned about core values. And, and this is why this kind of ties into a question about your agency too, which is I think part of the reason why companies like, let's say, Century 21, for example, have such trouble with having any core values, articulating them in the market and all this stuff is they, they don't want to not appeal to everybody. So they're, they're willing to appeal to no one in particular, you know, and, and, Obviously, agency owners go through the same thing. Doesn't sound like you've necessarily had that problem. You zeroed in on your niche, uh, but I think brokerages have a massive issue, like a massive fear of potentially offending anyone. So they never really state any core values. They never really appeal to anyone. It does happen. We often find um, uh, we often find us ourselves in a situation where we've presented really good work. The work was bought off by the stakeholder group, but then they went ahead and presented work to a group of people that don't have any understanding of how the work was created, what we were asked to actually do, and all of the ingredients behind the work, they just don't like it. 
So then <laughs> because some vocal agent who doesn't have enough information is voicing an opinion. Um, yeah. And so, you know, to tie everything, Stuff. we built this agency because we saw that without branding, real estate brokerages are going to find themselves all being pulled to the center and, and all looking exactly the same to everybody, to agents and consumers. Yeah. We could help find what makes them special and just build their messaging and marketing and all their stuff, identity systems around the thing that makes them different and get them to play in that sandbox, then they don't have to worry about appealing to everybody because they will appeal to a very strong core constituent and that will start to reverberate further out. As an example, Apple built a brand years ago to appeal to creatives. Yeah. To appeal to creatives only. And for a long time, they only had 5% of the market, but it was 5% of people that loved them to death. Mm-hmm. But that reverberated. It took time. But then people who were not creative, who wanted to be thought of as creative, right. or wanted to think of themselves as creative, decided to buy these devices so they can project that image to the world. Yeah. Hey, listen, man, we work with some amazing brokerages that have amazing things about them. And we're just helping them find that so they don't have to play the me too game and be like everybody else and get to have their own thing and carve their own lane and carve their own path and not so much worry about competitors who are coming into the market with just as clear and articulate, articulate messaging and branding. Well, and I think that's really the rub is like you're, you're encountering the same thing at a brokerage level that, that we encounter a lot in at the, at the individual level, both in agencies and in real estate and a lot of other areas that we play in, yeah. which is just the fear of openly putting yourself out there as different and appealing to a specific set of people. It's such a, it, it, it requires an, like a mindset of abundance. It requires a belief that, hey, if I only appeal to these people, there's enough business for me in that one niche. It also requires the belief that once people love me in that niche, other people outside of that niche will still want to be in the Cool Kids Club, just like with Apple products. We all wanted to get into the Cool Kids Club, so now we have an iPhone and we have an, a MacBook, which is what I'm recording on today, even though I don't really have any emotional allegiance to Apple. Um but I want, you know, like we all want to be in that club. So there's all this spillover effect and it's very hard to get people to recognize those two things. Either there's enough business in the niche or that there's the spillover of people that want to be considered in that niche. Uh, is that something that you try to educate clients on or do you just try to filter out the people that don't have those beliefs and just work with the people that do have that mindset? You know, so the onboarding process, we don't have a salesperson here. Mm-hmm. Business development is typically either myself or Brian. Yeah. And what we do is, and there's 11 of us here now, we've grown to, you know, become a much fuller service agency and I want to grow further and bring in more people and really service our industry in in, in a full capacity. But we talk to prospects and we begin to examine just, you know, what their capabilities are in terms of handling us. (laughs) We're going to push yeah. We're going to make recommendations that are in their best interest. But if I find that they're getting a little too feisty on the call, you know, um, then they're probably not ready for what yeah. they want something, but it's not the thing that we do. Um, right. So, you know, I may recommend that they 
I may recommend them to a different, you know, company. Um, because it won't be, it won't, it needs to, this needs to be fun. It needs to be um, awesome. And it needs to be, you know, like at the end of it, really give them this thing that they want. And if they don't let us do the things we need to do, they won't get what they want. And then everybody gets frustrated. Right. Well, I'm curious to get your perspective because it sounds like you've been through this quite a bit with companies that are probably not ready for you. Um, I want to get your opinion on a couple of things because the, the, the mo the, I would say the biggest stories as far as the branding in the last six months in real estate has been the Century 21 rebrand and then the whole issue with the, the NAR uh, logo. Um, so I'm curious to get your perspective on those, those big, big things that happen. Boy, hot topics, huh? <laughs> hot topics, exactly. So, you know, we work with Realogy brands. So I, I really feel like I don't want to say too much because they're clients. Yeah. And I think, I think Nick Bailey's brilliant and I, and I'm just not just saying that clearly is. Um, and he's done, that is what, what they've done there is a classic example of great advertising. Um, they have, they dropped the boulder into the pool and, created a huge splash and have driven a lot of attention um, to like a new path that Century 21 is on. Mm -hmm. I don't know all of the mechanics behind it. I don't know all of the science behind it. I know that when I look at it, I think it's beautiful what they, what they have created. Um, but full branding, a full rebrand, needs to really start at the foundation and create really truthful realities that go all the way up until you hit that public expression. So I think the question everybody's asking is, is this new renegade Century 21 renegade all the way through to the core? Right. Is it changing the way they recruit agents? Are they infusing renegade blood into their agents? You know, will there become a time when I reach out to a Century 21 agent and find that they are the renegade archetype? Or is this purely advertising? I think those are the questions that are hovering out there. Um, but, you know, I don't know all the answers. I don't know how far and deep it's gone. Um, but I think that the work the work is fantastic. It's really creative. It, it's edgy, you know, where, whereas a lot of brokerages have wanted to play it really safe, even with us and not let us take them. Cause whenever we present work, we tend to present a, the, the edgiest option, a moderate option and what we would call the really safe option. Yeah. And only do we get to go with the really edgy stuff? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you hit the nail on the head, right? So using Century 21 as an example, if you, if the experience for the consumer doesn't change, then they've done a great job of advertising and the physical, the art of the rebrand is great. But if it doesn't permeate the rest of the company and the thing that they can do about it, which is the way that they recruit agents, that, that will tell, right? Because Nick is all about, you know, no more mediocrity. 
is the, yeah. the impression that I get. Like he's used those words. I, I think for for him as a person and the, like the personal expression of his leadership is, is awesome. The question is whether the brand as a whole, like the company as a whole, will let him make changes at the company level to actually implement that. That I don't know. And that's the thing. That's what's tough about doing what, what you guys do is that you're trying to work with, you're trying to come up with a brand that will appeal the most but what it ends up happening is that what you're uncovering is the is true like business strategy, like strategic level decisions on how they appeal and how they structure the company in the market. You can't come up with a brand that puts them out there in a certain way that they refuse to deliver on. Now, when we get called into a project, and it's like what any good agency would do, we have to start by excavating down into mm-hmm. the floor. So we run them through this day long that sometimes extends days and weeks after with surveys and more questionnaires um, to really understand. I mean, we've developed over 10 years this process to extract the information we need. So we ask a lot of questions. And the truth is, man, it's the answers don't matter. It's the conversation that leads to the answer that really tells us so much about how a brand thinks. Um, And that, you know, by building then these foundational layers of, of creating a new mission, a new vision, a new promise, a new purpose, and then crafting positioning statements around that, that we can prove. So like, here's the the crux of it is if we can't find proof for the work that we're doing, then we're just creating ads and we don't do that. So we have to be very careful before we take on a new client that there's a there there, that there's executable. So if we write words like, because I'll ask them questions like, okay, so I see in your core values, trust, honesty, integrity. Um, tell me, so I'll say, tell me what happens if you as the broker gets a lead off your website, where does that lead go? And if I hear, well, that lead will go to one of our new agents who I get the best split from. <laughs> well, where is the trust and integrity? <laughs> right. Like, if we're going to build your brand around that level of integrity, then are you, are you ready to stop that activity and give that lead to your best agent? Mm-hmm. The agent that will service that lead the best. And if I hear absolutely, that's the path we're on. Well, that's the path Nick Bailey's on. He's mm-hmm. going to, sounds like he's going to get in there and gut C21 and turn them into this. Now, will he be successful? I certainly hope so. Yeah. Is it possible? Absolutely. Um, you know, you look at car companies, you know, you know, General Motors was pretty much uh, producing garbage back in the 70s and 80s. And then they came out with the Escalade and it really resurrected the Cadillac brand. And from the Escalade, like all the, the future Cadillacs produced were so much better cars. They became the Cadillac that they were. Mm-hmm. C2, C21 become the brand that they were? They absolutely can. You can fix all these things. You just have to be willing to, you know, do the hard work to get there. Um, and it starts with having a roadmap. For C21, the roadmap is Renegade. They've picked that as their brand archetype. Um, so they are that explorer, pioneer, you know, Renegade, rebel, whatever that archetype is, they're out there and they're going to act on it and, and do it. And um, I certainly hope they're successful with it because if not, um, then, well, then they'd be just like every other nondescript franchise that doesn't have a vibe. 
Yeah, um, it's true. Realtor, I have been very candid about my feelings about realtor.com. Mm -hmm. I think the word realtor is a silly word. I think, <laughs> silly. Um, I think okay. it is blemished by decades and decades and decades of bad associative branding to it. Okay. You know, most people in this street, what they think of realtors and they don't think highly of them. Yeah. So you have this odd word that was invented a long time ago um, that doesn't sound like the way it's supposed to sound. Like you don't call a doctor a doctor, mm -hmm. not an instructor. So there's no story why it's called tour. Like if there was even a story around tour, then maybe I could come to love that and people could come to connect to tour. Um, but it's just awkward. Mm -hmm. And we've got all this negative equity. So I think that NAR has a much bigger issue to deal with than a logo. Uh, <laughs> made a really bad decision, made a bad mistake, released it very poorly. Because when you release new identity, you truly, look at what C21 did. The way they released that logo was beautiful. It was orchestrated. They told the story. NAR just released it with no story. And here it is. It's on a 3D cube. That was the Inman logo 15 years ago. <laughs> so they went retro. <laughs> and what they didn't yeah. do was show agents how to use the new logo. Here's how it's going to look on a building. Here's how it will look on a pin. Here's mm -hmm. the words you're supposed to say when people go, oh, why did you change your new logo? Well, because blah, 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 blah. Like, it yeah. was still executed, executed so poorly. Um, and what can I say? Like, I, I don't think I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think I don't think you're alone. I think everyone else was uh, was probably just as mystified as all the rest of us uh, out here wondering why why things went down. Uh, there was also something I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned when you're going back to kind of the again. Let me yeah, yeah. Um, real estate is an incredibly nuanced, complex industry. Yeah, it's got so many layers. Like, how does an association like, why are there so many associations? There's an association in every state, in every county, every city. There's associations everywhere. There's then the NAR, the big association. What is the relationship of all those associations to each other? What are the associations between asso associations and MLS? What is the association between associations, MLS, brokers, and agents? It is so complex. Many people in real estate couldn't tell you what all how do you explain that to an agency? You bring in an agency who doesn't understand the beast. Some fancy agency, and I'm not lobbying for me. I'm just saying like part of the problem is they went way outside real estate. They brought in a British agency who has a New York office to try to un, like crack the code of a very complex system of understandings and beliefs and politics and connections. And they just went and just redesigned the logo without understanding like the implication of how will it impact a million agents on the street? Mm -hmm. How will it impact every association in the country who has a big R on their building that they will have to take down and spend thousands of dollars to replace with no reason why? 
So like, yeah, it doesn't mean anything in the minds of the consumers. It definitely doesn't mean anything new, different, or better than it did before. Uh, no, it's and I think because the agency truly who did it couldn't get there. When I look at the work, I can say that the result of that work was either they had their hands tied by the association who allowed groupthink and too many stakeholders to guide the creative decisions, mm -hmm. or the agency just could not get their hands wrapped around how important that R is to the people who use it and took that into account when they were thinking about, there was very little empathy mm. you know, in say, that project. Say, say more about empathy. So what's, what's the role of empathy when you're, like as an agency owner dealing with clients? Well, so I think people understand empathy on a level, like it's, you know, having a, a connection to somebody else's needs, pleasures and pains, so you can mm -hmm. feel them yourself. We typically understand empathy through user interface. So when product manufacturers would manufacture a product, remember like when you used to use a VCR, like you could never figure it out. It yeah. sure. It's because the designers of that product didn't, have enough empathy into how the user will use the, the machine. Mm -hmm. When you use machines that provide glorious user experiences, they're designed with massive empathy in, in understanding how a user addresses and approaches a product. Mm -hmm. uh, that empathy also corresponds to how a user experiences a brand. So when Apple built their Apple Store, or when Starbucks manufactured that Italian experience with their Starbucks shops, they got inside the minds of who their users would be and created products and experiences that just created pleasure for the people who used it because it was creating pleasure for them. Um, that's designing with empathy means you're not designing based on your whim, like, oh, I like these colors, so I'll use these colors. So let me tie it back to some of the work that we do. Before we do any work with a client, we run them through a consumer, not a consumer journey so much, but a consumer persona workshop. We want to understand who their primary customers are. So maybe it's sellers. If it's a broker, it's maybe sellers and it's agent. So we'll spend hours running them through these exercises of answering questions to describe the primary agent what their fears are, what their pleasures are, what their motivations are, how old they are, what do they look like, what do they think like, what are their favorite brands. And the more we peel back layers of these people, the more we understand. So like, for example, if they're a Subaru driving, Whole Foods shopping, Lululemon wearing, we now understand the brands that they like. Yep. We can look at how those brands advertise and market and communicate and begin to create corresponding similar type branding and messaging to, that's empathy. It's yeah. getting deep inside the world of those who are going to be, you know, invited in and impacted by the work you do. As opposed to, I like green, so I'm designing my website in green. Or, you know, like that. Yeah, that makes total sense, which is, yeah, it's a, very difficult to, to overcome. And it's difficult for the agency owner uh, to go in and, 
learn enough about the persona in the right way that you can step into their shoes and be empathetic. Like that's, that's a skill in and of itself, but you have to be in order to do great work. So that makes a hundred percent sense. Um, yes, I have 40 career years of honing. I mean, I was taught how to do this at Y and R we sat through, I sat through numerous consumer focus groups behind a two way mirror, watching 12 people answer questions and experience products because before YNR would run an ad around a product, they would want to understand like how were consumers reacting to a product and how, what, what were they feeling? So when, you know, so Palmolive was a project that I worked on. Nice. When people are in the focus group running their hands through this soap and saying things like, wow, it makes my hands feel really good. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like if enough people say that, well, that's the brand value. Right. It's not about cleaning dishes. It's about something else. And that's where you start to really create differentiation when you stop marketing yourself. So for example, every real estate brokerage in America pretty much markets themselves on the internet as a search, as a search service. That's what they're saying. Like we're offering search first. So we're our value proposition is in providing you search, Mm -hmm. but in any given market, there's probably tens of thousands of agents and brokers who are leading with that impression. Mm -hmm. We're search. Uh, And if you look at their search, there's no even text on the page to give you any sense of why their search is better or different. It's just, yeah. I don't know if they, I don't even know if the local association would allow them to say that their search is different and or better. Well, they, here's, here's the thing. Don't bother. Forget. Yeah. yeah. If, if 10,000 of your competitors are doing exactly what you do, you need to find, and do people even want search? Do people even, this is empathy. Does mm-hmm. the person looking to buy a home in your marketplace even need you for search, they have Redfin, they have Zillow, they have Trulia, they have Realtor.com, they have Homes.com. They have dozens of options. What do they actually need you for? Well, if you don't know, if you don't have empathy, if you haven't put yourself inside of the mind of what's really motivating a seller and what do they need, well, you may find out that what they need is a good agent. Mm-hmm. And, well, hey, look. Mr. Broker, Mrs. Broker, you have 200 really good agents. Why don't you push them up a little bit further up onto your site and promote them? Mm-hmm. Your customer too. So like by getting in deep and by asking some really good questions and understanding what makes a brand strong, um, we can find those things. And it becomes very enlightening for the client once they realize, oh my God, I've been sitting on this powder keg of amazing strength and differentiation and I've never utilized it. Um, And that's where good work comes from. Hmm. It's not us, man. We just know how to pull it out of the broker. But if the broker has it, it's on them. It's their good stuff. We just show them how to use it. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're, when you're working with someone, uh, a broker that wants to base everything around a quality that's fairly universal, right? Trust, integrity, uh, thing, things like that. that. There was something interesting I ran across that Al Reese said years ago, uh, which was if, if nobody's willing to stand for the opposite, you might as well not stand for it. 
uh, that was the, you know, I'm paraphrasing badly, but you can't base like a brand value around something that's so bland, so universal that if you can't find a competitor out there that's willing to make the opposite claim, like don't, don't even bother making because it, it doesn't mean anything in the minds of the people that hear it. And uh, I think those of us in real estate, because uh, that's where one foot is for me, uh, and same for you, is you run into this, this all the time. Like we were so unwilling to polarize, so unwilling to even experience the remotest possibility of offending anyone that the only things we'll stand for are things that nobody can object to and there's not a single other competitor out there that will ever make the opposite claim. I, I want to tackle this in two ways. One is, if your listeners have not read Al Reese's book, um, they should. Because it's, it's the Bible of branding. It, there's a copy on my desk. It's <laughs> a copy that I've had for 30 years. Mm -hmm. There's other really good books like The Hero and the Outlaw, which is another amazing book on archetyping, which is all based on Carl Jung's theory of archetypes. Really? The it's, Hero and the Outlaw, okay. The Hero and the Outlaw, it's, it's the science of, of branding. Mm. Um, just a quick riff on it. Um, Carl Jung developed 12 characteristics that all human beings fall into at least one category. Mm. We're either a hero archetype or a rebel archetype or a lover archetype, or a caregiver. Um, and there are variations of each one. Um, but he developed this to help us understand each other as human beings. But if you go back in time and look at every piece of literature ever written, every art that's ever, every portrait that's ever been created, every movie, every book, whatever, there's all these characters inside of stories, right? Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones is filled with the 12 archetypes of, of humanity. In 2001, these two authors took that work and applied it to companies. If you can humanize a company and decide what the archetype of a company is, is a company a caregiver company or are they the rebel company? Um, it then helps the company truly understand how to articulate and communicate their message um, and how they should design and what their logo should look like and all this stuff, it becomes the roadmap, the North Star for all of it. Mm -hmm. Now, what Elrice was talking about when it comes to like branding around truth and integrity, if those are your values, there's something wrong. If you have to make truth and integrity a value, then there's something wrong because our integrity should be innate in all of us. Yeah, it's like table stakes. That should, be, that should be just the table stakes to get into the game. It's like walking into uh, an airport in the airport advertising that it has internet, right? <laughs> or planes. Yeah, or planes. <laughs> that for granted that every yeah. real estate company with realtors who have sworn to ethics mm -hmm. has ethics as their core value. Yeah. So the first thing we always do is we scratch that stuff. We yeah, remove good. all those words from their core values and we create a whole new set of values based on the real values that they possess that they're not aware of. But you find it out through discovery. You find it out through this excavation process of digging deep and making them talk about things that they typically don't talk about. Now, the last thing I want to tackle on that point that you made is about offending people. Everybody's worried about offending people and nobody should offend people. But if you're not 
making a statement, if you're not sharing your point of view with the world, then the bigger crime is that you're not exciting, creating excitement for your people. Yeah. You're just saying nothing. So, you know, brokers oftentimes find this and vendors often find this. A vendor will say to me, I can't believe we just lost this big account to our competitor when we provide the very same thing. Well, hello, your client is not with you because of the feature set. They're with you because people do shop branding and they get excited about, they want to work with an exciting company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you look back when Dot Loop really exploded onto the marketplace, they were just transaction management, like eight other transaction management companies. But Dot Loop was saying something. They were doing exciting things. Austin Allison was on stage. He was writing on Forbes. Like he was creating an air of excitement around the, around the brand that made people love the brand and love the features more than they would have if he wasn't doing that. Right. So like, Rather than worry about offending folks, you should be worried about like not saying anything that thrills and excites your card folks. <laughs> right. Now there's also a little bit of science in here too, which is the best, most powerful brands are brands that just have something slightly wrong. There's a little bit of wrong about what they do that makes okay. it wrong. So right. give, give me an example. Visa. Right, the Visa credit card. Okay. Their whole when they you know when they launched like with any credit card company it was all all about the ease of purchase. Right, with this credit card you can go in and buy anything. Make we're making purchasing easy. And but they called it Visa, which is like you ever apply for a Visa? <laughs> it's the opposite of easy. Right. There's there's a luxury brand called Bombardier. You know what a Bombardier is? the guy that sat in the back of a World War II plane with the gun and blew other planes out of the, out of the air. So okay. coach, why would a luxury brand call itself coach? It's a little bit wrong. Okay. Uh, Apple, like think back to that time when there was like the Commodore computer and the Hewlett Packard and these machines that were named very machiney like names mm-hmm. and Jobs comes out with a computer company named after a piece of fruit. Yeah. <laughs> but it was not too wrong. It was just wrong enough. Yeah. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. in this, what part of how we educate is like when we present work, it's always just a, do you slack? Uh, I have in the past. Yeah. I mean, why would you call like a top tier productivity tool after slacking? <laughs> it's just off. It's a little off. It puts you to think. Uh-huh. Um, rigor is an emotion. So rather than worry about offending, and you shouldn't offend, but what you should focus on is having people wonder, having people question, getting people to start to dialogue around things in a positive way. The realtor thing was way too wrong. Like there's a fine line of wrongness. (laughs) (laughs) They, They skedaddled past that line of wrongness. But I mean, this is where like a skilled this is where skill and years and years of experience of knowing what's just wrong enough to be right and what's too wrong to be offensive. But if you don't do something to shake stuff up and I mean, what Nick Bailey did is wrong, but it's just wrong enough to be good and be right. 
it's not too crazy. Um, right. And so, you know, like there's a, you know, 40 years lesson of marketing and branding. In I love it. 10 minutes down by. Uh, yeah, there's, man, there's so much more we could go into because I, I love the conversation about archetypes and I'm going to go, I'm literally, as soon as we get off, I'm going to go to Amazon and order that book um, because, yeah, you start like just, just you pointing that out because I'm going back into young stuff anyway from just the psychological perspective and you know reading stuff on like transactional analysis and just stuff like that uh so i would love i i'm excited to read that book where it's applied to branding because you can start seeing it with apple which is the rebel against the old established microsoft like all these you start to see the parallels and you start to realize that uh whether you're in real estate or not whether even you guys from an agency perspective it's not just about having a feature set it's about creating a personality and something that, that that registers with people and the archetype in their mind. They go, "Oh, Apple's the rebel. Apple's the company for rebellious creatives, right?" Pep, the Pepsi generation automatically. You know, Al Reese gives that example all the time. Pepsi staked out the young, the youth, correctly, and then repositioned Coke as the stodgy old. You know, that's yeah, that's that's for the that's for the old. You know, if you want to be old, go ahead and drink your Coke. We're coming out with the cool kids. That's when Coca Cola archetype themselves after the optimist and became very optimistic in their point of view mm -hmm. like the world to sing a perfect right moment. what does that have to do with drinking you know <laughs> every every marketing campaign since i want to teach the world to sing in harmony has presented an optimistic viewpoint of a world celebrated through a refreshing coca-cola drink and mm. so when they go to market and then when they go to brand they're not branding a soda pop company they're branding a company who's presenting an optimistic view of the world when harley davidson goes to market product they're marketing to the rebel in their it's the um it's it's deeply in, ingrained in in harley's history mm -hmm. when you go back and read up on their rebellious you know, origins, uh, it was easy for an agency to go, you guys are definitely the rebel. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're a doctor during the week, but feel inside that you've got this inner rebel brewing, you know, on the, on the weekend, you get into your leathers and you get on your hog and you rev it up and you're out there okay. being the rebel. Yep. And they advertise that. They don't sell motorcycles. They sell connectivity to that inner thing that expresses you to yourself in the world. That is the magic and secret of branding. Most brokerages and most vendors in real estate are selling a service. And, you know, transaction management companies sell transaction management. Um, CRM companies are selling CRM. Brokers are selling search and real estate services. They're not going for the bigger prize of creating, finding a niche, dialing their, dialing their messaging into that niche so clearly that when we get done with brokers, agents call them and go, I wanna work for you. When they start seeing that messaging out in the world, it begins attracting the agents that brokerage wants. Yeah. And it yeah, they start to sell membership in a tribe, an identification, like an expression of identity, not just a place to work where you show up to an office. They see themselves in that color palette. They see themselves in that identity system. You know, for Red Oak, you know, we wrote a blog post about it, filmed a video of the launch, and put a case study in our website. 
you look at those visuals, now they, that wouldn't work for a Century 21 company. It wouldn't work for a Caldwell Banker company. It wouldn't work for anybody. Mm. Like that color palette, that design, everything is the purest extension of what Red Oak is internally. Just mm. popped out through that design and a system that we created that enables them to use certain words the right way and not use other words and how to use design. And it's attracting agents who are like, I, I want to be associated to that. That's why agents go to Compass. It's not because of the money. The money's nice. Sure, it buys college tuition for your kids, but agents want to be at Compass because they're attracted to the message. They're attracted to how they look when they're part of it. Any brokerage can do that. Every brokerage can do that. You just have to create the ingredients to do it with yeah. and the work we do. Well, and that's a perfect segue because I want to honor your time. Uh, but what's the best way for people, especially if they're in the brokerage market um, where you guys really specialize, what's the best way to reach out and connect with you guys? I mean, you just go to our website, thousandwatt.net. We have a lot of case studies. You can see the clients we work with. You know, we're behind so many things that, you know, a lot of people don't know. Leading real estate companies in the world Big name, big logo that didn't work on lots of different environments. You know, we were the we were the agency that retold their story, redesigned their logo to work with five hundred other brokers. Um, we've done lots of work for Sotheby's corporate. For um, we're doing a lot of Berkshire Hathaway brokerage work. So oh, nice, giving them you know, taking all the Berk, Berkshire Hathaway stuff and then exploring ways in which we can personalize it for brokerages in the various different communities so it doesn't look generic. Um, there's contact information on the site. Just start by just looking at our work. If you feel like what we do is what you want, um, you want to be challenged, you want to be challenged, and you want what's truly you, we're ones to do that. So, yeah, just reach out. You know, there's a form on the site. I think our phone number's on there. You know, you can get me at mark at thousandwatt.net, and it's Mark with a C. Um, I talk to everybody. It's easy to get me. <laughs> now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done-for-you podcasting service. Uh, that is my agency that I'm building and growing, and I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at PursuingResults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.